You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day. Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to Kicked Back presented by Uber One. Uber One is a membership that lets you save across Uber Eats, Uber Rides, and everything in between. Enjoy unlimited $0 delivery fees, 5% off of Eats, 5% off of Rides, and if you join Uber One today, you can get your first month free. Visit uber.com slash uberone for details. Hope everyone's kicked back because we've got another episode here. Liam and Caroline with you, kicked back, presented by Uber One. What's going on, everyone? Liam, how are you? I'm good. Um, a lot of unexpected things happened yesterday in the Champions League. Not in like, oh, wow, that was a crazy result, but just kind of like the way things played out for some yeah. things was like, wow, that was not what I thought was going to happen. Right. And uh, also some crazy stats that came out. And I kind of want to start off this podcast with... Carlo Ancelotti surpassing Sir Alex Ferguson for most Champions League wins of yeah. all time. Um, I made a lot of football fans angry on social media because we've talked you? about it. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> God forbid a woman talks about a, a, a sport, right? Uh, and yeah, sometimes I do maybe have a little bit of a hot take, but we, we've touched on this podcast before how Carlo Ancelotti should be maybe respected a little bit more in, in a conversation of greatest of all time or current greatest manager. What are your thoughts on the situation right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've kind of always been on the things that Sir Alex has always been the best because he did it in the best league for so long. Mm-hmm. But he makes the debate becomes a lot harder when every single time, it feels like once a month, Ancelotti is doing something to bolster his status in the football world. I mean, now, what is it? Most Champions League wins, that's what it was, right, that he got? so. Let me ask you this. What manager has won more than Carlo Ancelotti? Like, think about that. Yeah, like, no one. No one. So, it's exactly, that, that's the debate. I guess the only argument for me would be, uh, from, like, a Sir Alex Ferguson perspective, is that he took them f- from nothing to some mm-hmm. to greatness. Yeah. And that's the... Uh, I think that's something that'll always be on his side. But with Ancelotti, like winning pays the bills, and his bills are getting been, been getting paid for a long, long time. Yeah. So. Well, and that's exactly exactly how I feel. I respect Sir Alex Ferguson for the impact he's had and for the legacy he's created. No one's discrediting that. But Ancelotti's too frequently bypassing this conversation when he has the resume that he has. How he's been able to implement this winning style of football across Europe's top five leagues shows versatility. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's talked about enough in this conversation of greatest of all time. And... I do appreciate legacy. I do think that's important. But to be able to go into different leagues, adapt to different styles of play, and win, being able to win, not just compete, but to win, warrants this conversation. And we also know he's not a manager that's driven by ego. He handles his success admirably. And at the end of the day, he just kind of lets his genius style of tactics speak for themselves. And this is also a man who's won two World Cups as a player. So he understands what footballers want and need from a managerial perspective. And I just think that this is why some of the best footballers in the world also give him the highest praise. You've seen Pirlo, Ronaldo, um, you know, uh, Del Piero say that this they've never been coached by a better manager. And I think that there's so much that goes into this conversation with Carlo Ancelotti that isn't looked at enough because... Premier League super fans only choose to see it one way, which Mm. I appreciate. I respect that. But I also will challenge it because I think at this moment in time, Ancelotti, who's 
always left out of this conversation might be at the top of the ladder. Yeah, and he even had a... 31 wins in 67 games at Everton, which is proven to be quite the accomplishment at the moment. You know what? Everyone Everton. brings up the Everton conversation. Tell me what he was supposed to do with that team. And did he not even bring them to some type of oh, excitement? Yeah. He did well. He did really well. And But the the problem with the Everton thing was he was kind of, and it was not on him. It was more the tail end of this team has spent too much money and now it's coming to bite them in the ass because it's not sustainable. Yeah. And he was kind of, I feel like he almost saw that in a way and was like oh there's probably not much else i can do here and also when real madrid comes knocking on the door i think anybody's gonna go so yeah he did well there and like he's just always kind of he's just always been successful and that's the thing do you know what he kind of reminds me in a sense of uh brazilian ronaldo where when people talk about him everyone's like this guy is the best we forget but, but yeah you almost forget how great he was and a lot of people say that about ronaldo is like no like this guy was special and injuries plagued him and that's what ruined his career and I saw it almost feels with Ancelotti a little bit too where it's like you just kind of forget what this guy has achieved over his career because he's just I don't mean it in this way but he's bounced from club to yeah. club he's been a lot of places and it's almost like just kind of forgotten it's like oh yeah this guy did win the Premier League with Chelsea and he did win the Champions League race in Milan back with Kaka and those guys and then Bayern Munich and then Real Madrid as well now and PSG and then you know, he's he's a guy who's floated around, but always, always won. And that's what I've been hearing from fans the most on online right now, especially to to my video that I made. That Sir Alex Ferguson is the greatest manager of all time that there ever will be because of the legacy, the amount of time he spent in one club. And I get that, but I also see it. Even in the Cristiano Ronaldo debate, he's a player who's gone to different leagues and has had success. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a conversation that needs to be had too because it's not an easy thing to do. No. And to, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Ancelotti being able to go into La Liga, Serie A, the Premier League, and and win like says a lot about him and the style that he plays and also the style that he manages. So I don't know. I, I, I'm firm on this and I, I swear I have bias outside of it like I know that he managed at AC Milan and that was you know my team when I was younger for sure but I just there's something about him that I really respect and appreciate that he's not making headlines like a Klopp or a Pep or a Mourinho right like he he some and I love the entertainment value with those managers but Ancelotti is this humble I'm gonna call him a humble king (laughs) that has success and he handles it in a way where people I think don't talk about it because of how low key he is. Yeah, he's um, in the spotlight, but not in the spotlight. Yeah. Like Real Madrid is obviously the spotlight, but I like that. he's he's not he's not the figurehead of it. Where with City and Liverpool, it feels like Klopp and Pep are the guys. Like you see, when you think of them, they're probably two of the first people yeah. you think of. Where of with Real Madrid, it's like you have Benzema, Cruz, Modric. There's so many other guys ahead of Ancelotti, which he just silently in the background. Just doing his thing. Yeah. Winning is what his thing is. And I like that, though, because when you think about it, maybe even from a player's perspective, you'd want the attention to be on the team mm-hmm. and the style of play and the record if hopefully they're they're having a winning record. Not necessarily with the coach. I think that's why these footballers love Ancelotti so much. I mean, Ronaldo, here are a couple of quotes. Uh, he goes, I wish every player could have the opportunity to work with him because he's a fantastic guy. He's a fantastic coach. I miss him. Del Piero, who is one of the greatest players uh, for Italy, you know, said he's the best coach of all time. Pirlo went on to say he's like a father to me. The times with him were indescribable. I think that that's, that's an element, an emotional element to the conversation um, that maybe when we look at stats and we look at legacy and we look at wins, we, we don't bring that into the conversation enough, but it is super valid and super important because so many coaches who are successful also don't have a problem throwing their players under the bus. Yeah. And then you find this situation where players don't like playing for the coach. I'm not saying every single guy loved Carlo Ancelotti when they played under him. I, I do think that Lewandowski openly like said in an interview once that he doesn't like the way that Bayern's playing like the system and the style. So obviously that was a low key dig at, at Carlo, but at the same time, you have a high majority. And again, some of the biggest names really respecting what he's done. So uh, I got some heat online for saying, you know, Carlo Ancelotti deserves a little bit more respect in the conversation and it warrants a conversation got absolute pushback from 
Premier League super fans, which I get. I totally get. Um, I would be the same way if someone, you know, tried to tell me that, I don't know, for example, Kaká wasn't one of the best attacking center mids of all time. But I think people also need to be open-minded. And as football goes on and as time goes on, the greatest of all time conversation for players and coaches might change. And people have to accept that. Yeah, there's probably guys we haven't even mentioned, like just in other leagues in general that have... Mm-hmm. Had so much success. Like, I know obviously Bayern Munich have won a lot. And yeah, there's a lot of great managers out there. I think Sir Alex is always going to be on the top of a lot of people's minds because of the team he was at, which makes him, I think, just bolsters his legacy in the sense for mm-hmm. everyone's opinion. But yeah, like Ancelotti, like we said off the top, like this guy, he's the one passing Sir Alex's records now. And when does that when does that matter? When do these hardcore winning stats, first manager to do this, first manager to do that, when does that deserve some credibility? We can yeah. speak about legacy for the end of time, and I agree with that. But then on the other side of the coin, Ancelotti's the first manager of like five different conversations to ever do something. And I don't know, every single time he goes to a team, I'm like, okay, they're fine because they have one of the most experienced, likable coaches in football and and again another conversation with pushback is that he did it with teams that are stacked but then again we're watching you know this day and age where there are a lot of stacked teams and you don't necessarily find that it converts to success pep's always had a successful team he can't win the champions league Mm -hmm. can't always you know look at it that way still takes a good manager to do something like that that's why i have Klopp over pep (laughs) yeah do you really uh, yeah, I think in a sense of look at everything. Like I'm not sitting here saying Klopp hasn't had money to spend. He just spent eighty million on a striker. But also, <laughs> not every summer the bank isn't open for a guy like Klopp at Liverpool, and he's able to. Pl- he's having to play guys like James Milner and Jordan Henderson yeah. way more than he should have to. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's just Liverpool's team isn't as deep as City has been the last few years, and obviously this year is a bit different, but. They've been able to push City to the max and get the best out of yeah. City, and I think that matters. And I think with Pep, like he's probably one of the best tacticians this game has ever seen. Like he's changed the game, but also what you would say about Pep is he might be one of the be- best tacticians, but he hasn't won the Champions League. He hasn't won everything he should. Yeah, like he hasn't won it with City, and like they should. There should be higher expectations, I think, when you're spending that much money. And Klopp has been able to do that with Liverpool, with the Champions League, one mm-hmm. Premier League, and whatever else. And yeah, I would just like to. For, what puts Sir Alex over it for me is like he had success when he was at Aberdeen. He was the last manager mm-hmm. to win. Last, the last team to win the Scottish Premier League was that wasn't Celtic or Rangers was Aberdeen okay. with Sir Alex. So for me, that's a great accomplishment. And then you go into when United were there and they weren't great. They almost sacked him like really early on. And then he built them to such a great greatness. Like yeah. now even they're not even that good right now. What are they fifth in the Premier League? And they're still regarded as like one of the top teams in the world. And that comes off the back of Sir Alex. And I think a lot of managers like who go around and win all these competitions like Guardiola, Pep, Klopp. Uh, yeah, Guardiola and Pep are the same person. I meant Ancelotti. <laughs> I know what you mean. And you, I think, building a legacy over time and growing, stuff like that. And it's very hard to do that now yep. in today's football. And I think Klopp has done that a li- little bit with Liverpool, where when he joined, like they were just kind of like a team that would push for Champions mm-hmm. League. And then he took them to greatness. He took them to that next level to win their first Premier League. And what? I think in my eyes that's what matters. Sustained success with one club is is massive. And actually, he's done it with Real Madrid right now. What, what do they have, three in a row or whatever it is? And he's been a part of, obviously he wasn't a part of all of them, but he's done it with AC Milan when he was there for like eight years mm-hmm. and he went to back-to-back Champions Leagues. Like He's done it in his career and that's to his credit. And, I guess not even on Ancelotti. I just like seeing managers there for a while. Yeah. And to have the success and build a program. And Pep's done that too with City. I'm not denying that either. I totally, and I totally see that side of the conversation because even when I think about United, I think about iconic. Like it's an iconic mm-hmm. football club that even if you were to go up to a non-football fan or a casual fan, they know of United and they would probably likely, maybe 
a non-football fan wouldn't know Sir Alex Ferguson's name, but they would know his face. Yeah. Right. And that's what you think of when you think of iconic. So I understand that side of it. Um, I think for me personally, I also, I like to see managers and I like to see footballers not only stay in one place. I like that Messi left Barcelona or the, the way it yeah. ended. I wouldn't have wanted him to stay in Barcelona forever. Sometimes these moves don't go in the player's favor. Kaká when he left Milan, uh, Thierry Henry when he left Arsenal, it didn't go in the best direction for them. But sometimes I like to see players and managers find success in different leagues because that means they are getting out of a comfort zone, a system, a fan base, a culture that they are so used to and proving that they can do it anywhere in the world with any team. And I I think that that's another side of the coin that's super important to talk about because change isn't easy. Adversity isn't easy. It's, It's a lot of pressure. And that's why I always say Cristiano Ronaldo doing it in many different leagues is a super impressive feat for me. So I feel the same way about Ancelotti. I agree. He's not married to a club. You don't think you think Fergie and you think United. Yeah, that's. I was just trying to think of that. It's like when I think of Ancelotti, what team do I think of? And I think that's what people are having a hard time with in this yeah. conversation. Yeah, where like some of the names you mentioned there, like um, like Gerard. Gerard played for the LA Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. And they'll never be remembered for. They'll no. always be remembered for <laughs> yeah. Liverpool. And it's like guys like that who like Polo. Polo played for a bunch of teams, but. I will probably always see him in an AC Milan yes, jersey, to be honest. And I think that's what it what it comes down to at the end of the day is like when when you're done playing football or whatever sport you play, like how will you be remembered? Like what will the first image of people's minds be? And for me, Ancelotti, like you said, I just can't really picture it. The, the only picture I can think of is when he was smoking that cigar. In the Which Champions I was the Don Carlo, man. <laughs> yeah, that was so, also iconic. So I guess that's my iconic Ancelotti moment is the picture of him smoking a cigar. I agree. I'm scared of the Premier League super fans, that's <laughs> for sure. But I'm, st- I'm, I'm strong on my stance because sometimes I feel like things need to be challenged a little and... Um, it's okay to to think outside of the box. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I do actually think a lot of people who aren't, you know, hardcore United or Premier League or English football fans do see other managers in that conversation. Uh, and I say that respectfully because respect should be given to Fergie and what he's done in, in football culture. But I see it from from another perspective as well. So I was just interested to see what you thought because now another stats come out. And I guess maybe let's end it on this question. What would it take, if anything? Let's let's take legacy aside because Ancelotti's getting yeah. old. He doesn't have 20 years. What is he, to, 63 or something like that now, I think? See. He doesn't I got, have... I it up right here. Uh, yeah, he is 63. He doesn't have... like okay, What is he going to be, coaching at Real Madrid till he's 83 to, to surpass Ferguson in the leg, legacy... <sighs> to surpass Fergie in the legacy debate, he doesn't have that time. Hopefully he does, like, you know, obviously. But if we're talking realistically as a manager, he probably won't be coaching Real Madrid for another 20 years. Would there be anything else that he could win that would make you rethink your opinion? Um, Or no? I think just persistent dominance in La Liga would really do it for me. Like, we spoke about... Early, in the early days of the show, like Real Madrid hasn't won back-to-back La Ligas in almost 10 years or around 10 years, whatever it is. I believe it was 2005, so whatever that is. Uh, so this year, it looks like they're they're on track. They're in first, so I'd like to see that. Then I would like to see it again and again and again. And a Champions League. Like, yeah, Champions Leagues are good and a little cherry on top, but I think just being dominant in your domestic league and... We spoke about it yesterday where like La Liga's not really strong mm-hmm. and Real Madrid and Barcelona, mostly Real Madrid because they're actually a structured team right now, should be winning this tr- trophy every single year. Yeah. And I would like to see that for Ancelotti. And like, I, I don't even know. I don't really have like a power rankings of like this guy, this guy, this guy, but I, I would like to see that from Ancelotti. Yeah. Just so, sustain success with one team. And he, he's done it in the past, but I would just like to see it a little bit more now. How about if... Italy, after missing back-to-back World Cups, hires Ancelotti for the 2026 World Cup, and he wins the World Cup with this Italy team. That would be that would be that- special. That would be special. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be pretty good. I do, I do have international managers and club managers on a different <laughs> level, though. But I would, so complicated. Yeah, <laughs> it is a lot going on. I just I pulled up a list here, and it was top five managers ever top 15 managers ever and this was made in january of this year okay and charlotte was eighth yeah man like that's to- so outlandish to me it was um i'm gonna try and say tell some me who of are the names. top seven so 
Bob Paisley, who was with Liverpool for a long time and had a success with them in the 70s. Okay, super Premier yep. League fan. And also won three European Cups and a UEFA Cup and a UEFA Super Cup. Okay. Um, Argo Sacchi, who was with Milan for a while. Johan Cruyff from 85 to 96 to 2009 to 13. Uh, he was with Ajax and also Barcelona. Um, Ernest Happel, who was 62 to 92 with a bunch of different teams. I won't even list them all off, like Club Brugge, Feyenoord, Hamburg. Won the Champions League with a few of them as well. Uh, Pep, three. Runus Michaels. Uh, they called him the architect of total football. He was with uh, Ajax 2 uh, from 53 to 92. Man, these guys were around for a long, long time. And, of course, number one, Sir Alex. Mourinho was also on this list, sorry, and he was 12. Matt Busby was ahead of him. I mean... There's a lot of English guys on here. And and I, re- <laughs> I respect the research and, you know, the, the fandom for many years. I was born in 91, so yeah. I never watched a lot <laughs> I, of these. I ma- haven't heard a lot of these guys <laughs> yeah. either. So I'm going to be completely honest, but I don't know. To put him eighth? Eighth? Like, okay, yeah. if, he, if he won... Every now and then. Okay, I understand. This guy's yeah. first manager. Like I said, first manager to do this and first manager to do that. I mean, I can read it off for you because I don't want to mess up these stats. Well, let me let me access the TikTok that blew up my account <laughs> that I refuse to even look at comments anymore. But it's just... It's a debate. It's it a is great a, debate. It is, a, it is a great debate that I probably shouldn't have touched, but here we are. <laughs> uh, and... No regrets because you gotta do it what you is what do. it is. Um, but hold on, let me get it. So, first manager to win a league title in each of Europe's top five divisions. First manager to win four Champions League finals. Finals. First manager to win four UEFA Super Cup finals. So, that's like a yeah. pretty heavy resume. That's not bad. I mean, you're hiring that guy. <laughs> if he came for a job here. <laughs> In the ninetieth minute, I would, <laughs> I'd sit him down and have a good chat about what he would bring to the table. Could you imagine interviewing Carlo Ancelotti and being like, "But what's your legacy? Yeah, what you, <laughs> how are you going to leave this yeah, club? We're having a hard time because we know you win so much, but what's your legacy? Yeah, what are um, you going to do for us? Imagine here? he'd be, he'd probably light that cigar and tell you to shove it up yeah. your, you know, probably. <laughs> He's probably so nice that he probably wouldn't even say that. He'd yeah. probably tell us why. Uh, whatever. And uh, he's funny. married to a Canadian woman, so. That's bonus. Yeah, that's that cherry on top that he's maybe, cheering for us maybe at the World manage Cup. Canada. I know that that's been be, mentioned too. Honest to God, if that happened, I would I'd buy a Canada Ancelotti jersey. Yeah. <laughs> I really would go that far. That'd Call me crazy. Funny. Um okay, up next, uh, we can move on. And let us know what you guys think in the comments. I'm sure you guys will say it's Sir Alex Ferguson. <laughs> Hit me, hit me where it hurts. Um, I'm ready to take it. Uh, Christine Sinclair announced that she'll be back for another season at Portland. Oh, nice. She's 39 years old. She'll be back for an 11th season. Yeah. And I just want to... Speaking wanted, of legacy. Right? <laughs> Honestly, like, let's talk about it. Uh, why isn't Sinclair included in the GOAT conversation? She, she deserves it. And trigger warning for all the little boys who are having a hard time with talking about women and football in the same conversation... But she has more international goals than Ronaldo and Messi. And I guarantee you half the male population has no idea who she is. It's a problem. Yeah. I um, So in England, when I was growing up, like I didn't really pay attention to women's sports in general. To yeah. be honest, until like yeah. the Olympics came around and then you kind of get involved with stuff like that. But that was kind of my only opening to women's sports. Like the, when the World Cup and mm-hmm. the Euros would come on, we would kind of get behind the girls a little bit but it wasn't anything special like i remember some of the players but nothing too crazy but then i came to canada and then you see like this was so this was like 2010 when i moved here so maybe this was 2012 would have been london yeah that was london and that was kind of like when i started to realize who christine sinclair was and it's been 10 years now and she's just been the best player on canada for 10 years and it was uh, she's such a a unique style, I suppose. Like you, she just knows how to put the ball in her net, yeah. and that's if that was so easy, everyone would do it. And she's it's, just been able to do it on every stage that she she gets on. And yeah, she's she's one of the great football players 
this world has ever seen. And I know the argument's always going to be is like, oh, the standard in women's compared to men's. And it's like, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. I totally get it. But also when you just, just appreciate it, just appreciate how good she actually is and what she's done for the women's game, not only in Canada, but the world. Like mm -hmm. she is such an icon. And in my eyes, she'll go, she is one of the greats the sport has ever seen. You're absolutely right. There will always be the conversation of men's football being more competitive than yeah. women's football. But yeah. at the end of the day, like you said, if scoring was easy, then everybody would be setting these records. And yeah. the fact that she holds that record on a global scale in both men's and women's football, to me, it's not talked enough about. And I look at these professional broadcasts and I'm like, why aren't they bringing her into these conversations? Because she single-handedly put respect on a women's game. Yeah. You know, to, to think about Ronaldo and Messi and the impact, the tremendous impact that they've had on our game and how much they've accomplished, to have Christine Sinclair sitting on top of them in a goal scoring record for international Crazy. goals is mind blowing. So I just wanted to give her props. She's, she's competed at four Olympic games. She has two bronze medals, one gold, five world cups, and she's still freaking going most caps for Canadian women goals and assists. Uh, I don't know. I just like when I was coming up in the Canadian national team program, um, I, I played for the U 17 and the U 20, never with the senior team, but man, that was always one of my biggest goals for me. It would have been so iconic to be like, I met Christine Sinclair and I practiced mm. with her. Did you ever meet her? No, no I never did. I never did. But, um, that, that to me would have been, it's crazy being in those camps and, and playing in these international games. That would have been kind of for me one of the bigger accomplishments is sharing yeah. the pitch with her and that's the legacy she's created for women she's an she's an icon yeah. um i guess sticking on the canadian women topic i believe jesse fleming re-signed yes. with chelsea yep. the other day so that's really good to see i remember she's only a young player she's as well young. so she was wasn't she the youngest canadian to ever play she was she i remember whenever she made a day she was very yep. young and i remember watching that game and i was like oh wow that's crazy like, i wonder and i think you're like 17 right 17 or 18 maybe even 16 so carl lang was 14 when she debuted do you remember carl lang uh, I think she was 14. She was 14. Oh, I'm pretty smoked. sure. I'm pretty, pretty sure. Um, because when I would watch Carling, I'm like, oh my God, I want to be her. So that's why she stands out. But I do know that when Jesse Fleming came into the, to the team, everyone would, they'd say she's the next Christine Sinclair and they, they'd label Christine Sinclair deservingly the goat and they'd label she Jesse Fleming like the baby. The neck. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Like the, oh. the, the youngest generation. It says on December 15th, 2013, this would have been, she made a senior international debut at the age of 15 years old when she replaced Brittany ba Baxter in a one nil defeat to Chile. Uh, it doesn't say she, at the time she was the second youngest player to ever play for the national team. Uh, she is the third youngest after uh, Olivia Smith, who okay. took her over a few years ago in 2021, and Kara Lang is the youngest to ever play. Crazy. Um, I just want to say one quick thing on the women's game, and I think this is something people always don't take into consideration of when they talk about the standard of it, and not in like a negative way. Like standard, I think, is getting better every single yeah. year. Like we just saw at the Euros yeah. this past. Uh, this past summer in England and how well supported it was and Wembley sold out. The The men's game has been around forever, for over 100 years. It's a well-developed game and that's why we see these great players come year after year after year. Well, with the women's game, it's only what, like, it's obviously been around for a long time, but it's only really been paid attention to on, like, a development scale since, like, the 80s, 70s, 80s, that kind of around time. So here we are 50 years later. Talk to me about what football was like on the men's side 50 years ago, because I'll tell you right now, it probably wasn't as good as it is now. It's about development, and that's what is going to help grow the women's mm -hmm. game. And we, we see it in Canada all the time. I think Canada has done a really good job of progressing and given us access to the women on an international scale. Like now we would like, to, I would like to see it more with the and what's it called sorry the nwsl i yep. believe is yep. like we should probably see those games a bit more televised and have more access to that and i think that's the next step i know in um when i was in england i noticed this quite a lot actually they talk about their women's i believe it's called the women's super league and they talk about it in such a 
how do I word it? In such like a natural way. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel forced. And I know this isn't uh, what some people have an issue with is like they feel like women's sports is being forced upon you. And it's like, I didn't feel like that when I was watching Sky Sports News in England. It just kind of like naturally came on. And they spoke about it. And then it just felt welcomed, I, I guess. And I think that's where we all need to kind of get to with Canadian women's sports and, and anything, basketball, mm-hmm. hockey, soccer, uh, whatever other sports we play, anything, croquet, whatever it is. <laughs> Let's just, you just got to absorb it and you'll realize it, it's good. And I'm, I'm not sitting there telling you I watch women's soccer every single week because I, I quite mm-hmm. frankly don't. But I think it's Im- important that you em- you embrace it because there's a lot of talent and Canada's winning and it shouldn't just be every four years that you realize it's like, oh yeah, we do have a Canadian women's team. And and what I really um, have appreciated, I think, with time is that women are getting respect with tournaments that are being put in place, coverage that's happening. Um, I still think we're behind the times, but mm-hmm. I do think it's better. Like, for example, when I went to the World Cup, it was in 2008, and that was the first ever junior, like, U17 World Cup that was ever had. Right. So it was a super big deal. But now we're seeing this tournament happen regularly for, yep. for the developmental kids in the program or players in the program to experience what that would be like to represent your country. Um, and when, when I went to the World Cup, we had to fund our way to get there. That's not happening anymore. No. So there's money being put in, in into it. You know, FIFA's recognizing, uh, you know, the potential of women's football. England did an incredible job winning that Euro Cup. And I'm really looking forward to watching Canada at this next World Cup. And I wonder, you know, what that's going to mean for Christine Sinclair, the most iconic female footballer, uh, I would say, in the entire game after the fact, like, will that be her last World Cup? Uh, you know, is she able to win that World Cup? Because I feel like that might be the only thing missing in her, in her like, yeah, accomplishments. Yeah, now that she has the yeah. Olympic medal. Yeah, and I, I feel like that's probably got to be a big goal for hers, um, goal of hers. But I just, I think people need to welcome the fact that women play sports you know women talk about sports women are able to commentate on sports they have knowledge and they have a skill set um and we have lived in a time where it's been predominantly men and i think that's why when women are introduced into these roles it's it's um there's friction because people aren't used to it yep now all of a sudden they say oh this is being shoved down our throat because a female's commentating the game no it's not she's just really good at what she does it's earned it's an earned Yep. I don't want to say reward because that's opportunity. Not, yeah, opportunity. That's what kind of I was looking for. Like, people don't just get these jobs because they're like, oh, she's a woman or, oh, he's he's a African American yep. man. Like, people get these jobs because they're good at them and they they deserve them. And yeah, like I, hey, I'm a, I. The first time I heard a women commentator, I was like, oh, this it catches your ear because it's like, oh, that was unexpected i guess you because you're so used to the men and everything and i guess it's a this is a deep conversation we're getting down but i actually it's, love it's uh yeah i mean just it's quite frankly don't care like just don't, don't let it bother you like it's just these the sport is growing and it's growing in a very positive way and just give it a watch like i know on uh the, you can get on the streaming services now you can watch the women's champions league and it's good. It's good to see the exposure in that sense. And now I would just like to see it on my regular TV yeah. viewing. And, you know, and I give just give like let people watch it if they want to watch it. Like everyone should be should be free to do so. So speaking of and we'll we can end it here. Um, Canada plays. So there's the World Cup coming up next summer and they announced the group game. So it'll be Canada, and Nigeria, Canada and Ireland and Canada, Australia. And I believe Ooh. the World Cup will be in Australia slash New Zealand. Zealand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we'll have to we we'll will have to go. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're going. Um, but I think that it'd be cool to cover those games. Yeah, kind of the it, same way we're doing for the men's. We should. hundred percent. We hundred percent we should. And we uh we'll do a we'll do a good job of trying to represent what's going on there and the progression of yeah. everything that's going on. Hey, maybe we'll we'll get some of the women's like we got Alistair Johnson on to talk about what's gonna happen heading into that World Cup. The Australia game will be a really good one. Oh, they yeah. have a, they've always had a good program and I think that's with the women's, like a lot of the teams I think, well, obviously the U.S. has been great for a long time. Germany's a really Sweden. good program. Canada, Australia, I believe. Sweden. Sweden. I'd even Sweden. say Sweden Yeah, in Sweden. There. Spain, I think, yeah. is now coming along too. And it's, um, it's great to see. It's great to see the development. And if you look through the men's history of the World Cup, you probably 
you look back however long ago, I guarantee there was a team who was like, this was their first World Cup and now they've been to this many more yeah. and now they're actually a presence in the football men's world and that's what we're seeing with the the women's as well. Like I, I don't think Spain have been great for that long, but Barcelona have a really good women's yes. team. So that yep. helps. France is another really good team because they have Lyon who were a really good uh, French women's team and yeah it's, it's good and it's even like yesterday we spoke about Graham Potter and how he started with the Ghanaian women's team like it's 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 good to see good football in minds whoever you are just be involved with the game at yeah. whatever level and but progressing through it I I don't think it'll be long before we see a a woman manager men's team at a, a relatively that. high level like we don't see it much in North American hockey, but there was the, uh, sorry, North, Amer North American sports, but there was the, the lady who worked with the San Antonio Spurs for a long time, Becky Harmon, I believe okay. her name was. And she just, so she was with San Antonio under Greg Popovich. She was one of the best basketball yeah. coaches ever. Legend. Absolute legend and hilarious man too. Ancelotti's still better. I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> and he was one of the, he brought her in and this was like, must have been like eight years ago or something like that, brought her in and now she has taken that knowledge and now she uh, manages a team in the WNBA and just won the WNBA. Yeah. I think it was Vegas. And yeah, like that's the point of it all, right? It shouldn't be men and women's. It's like we play, the, we all, it's the same sport. The ball still bounces, the puck still flies, the ball still Preach. flies when you kick it. Like it's the same sport. Just there you go. There's yeah. my, Preach, there's my rant. <laughs> you, you bring up Potter. Also, John Herdman was... The head, women's, yeah, for yeah. the women's. And also, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that when I went to New Zealand to play in that World Cup, he was the head coach of the New Zealand women's was. national team. That's how we, that's how we started. And that yeah. was our first game of the World Cup. We played New Zealand. Oh, so, he was yeah. the manager of the U17? Yes, oh, I'm pretty, pretty, pretty sure. If I ever met him and I ever talked to him, I would, it would be the first question I asked him. And I'd be like, do you remember me? Yeah. <laughs> um, because he was, it says here Herdman was the head coach for the New Zealand women's national team from 2006 and 2011. I do have a feeling. I have a feeling he was there. If not, he was in the program. Um, so that's something I would ask him. But again, another coach who started in the women's league and then went yeah. on to be a really good coach right now for the men's. He said he worked at the U20 level. So I wonder. I wonder. If I wonder if he was in and out. Yeah. I wonder if he was in and out. I wonder. Yeah. I can't I, imagine I, there was a big staff. Yeah. So I, I don't remember. I don't remember. Like yeah. I always say, I don't remember what I did last week. I can't possibly <laughs> imagine what 2008 was like, um, but I would ask him. Okay, quickly, because I know Liam's on a time crunch today. We'll end with this. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Benfica win the group over PSG, which is crazy. Like what an insane scenario. Everything that's happening in Champions League this season is freaking wild yeah and now what's crazy is psg could face bayern chelsea real madrid or city in the round of 16 holy 
crap. Baloney. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we love it. I agree. Liam, are you still like, I want you to stand firm on your take that PSG is going to win it all. But do you still think so? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, they're still great. And... But this, I guess my point of it would be is like, this is why every single group stage game is important. You can't take a night off mm-hmm. because Benfica's two draws and PSG's two draws were against each other. And now here we are with Benfica top of the group. And now PSG, we talked about it quickly at the top, but like who are the teams realm they can play? So I saw in a tweet, Bayern Munich, Chelsea, Real Madrid, or Manchester City. Like really bad teams. You, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's going to be super easy for them. Um, the point, you've got to make it easy for yourself. And they've simply not. However, if you're able to knock off a team that great right in the last 16, one, it makes it easier because you're missing one more great mm-hmm. team in the tournament. And two, it probably gives you momentum being like, well, we just beat City or Real Madrid, whoever it was. And, Who's really going to be better than them? We are we are the best team in this tournament right now. And that's kind of, if I was the manager, I'm sure that's what they're doing. But like, that's the mentality I would try and bring to my team is like, if you win this game against whoever they get drawn against, which is on Monday, um, you've got to, you're, you're now the best. Yeah. You are the best team left. Well, they have a massive opportunity right now to prove everyone wrong, me yep. included. Because yep. I've always said that this is a team that has... Uh, the most credible attack, but I wonder what their what their defensive game is like in yeah. in a match against a team like Real Madrid, City, or even Bayern Munich, because Bayern Munich is killing it in the Champions League. So now they have the opportunity that if they were to go into the round of 16 and face one of these teams and win, first of all, it would shut everyone up. And second of all, I agree with you, if they're able to win that game in the round of 16, I do think that they're a team that can go on and win the entire thing. 100%. My question is, though, do Mbappe, Neymar, and Messi win the game for PSG in a game against a top top tier club and can that back line handle a guy like holland uh you know the the talent that's on bayern munich uh real madrid their whole freaking team yeah. uh so you know i just i really wonder but that, it would be the biggest treat to see this in the round of 16 that is the the biggest difference between psg and the other great teams is defensively they're just not they're yeah. not great where attacking they arguably are the best. I agree. And you got to have that balance. And maybe you just got to get greasy. Maybe you got to get greasy with Ramos and see what he can do. Bring out his inner, inner demons and yeah. take it out on Benzema or Haaland, whoever it is. And then, who knows? Maybe they get Tottenham. Maybe. Maybe they got Tottenham. And that would be a different tale in itself. But for now, like, I want them... <laughs> I want them to get one of the best. I want to see the best on best. That's what I love about Champions League. I feel like I was yesterday because when I was writing our outline of the show, I'm like PSG for me, I think is Tottenham for you when we were talking about it on our last episode where you're like Tottenham has to win the big games. I'm like that with PSG. So if Tottenham and PSG played each other, I feel like it would be (laughs) two worlds collide. Yeah. 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 Well, it would be. I, I think top, like PSG would have to win that game. They, oh my! Well, they then would, they would be that the, top, the Tottenham team couldn't go into that game thinking with the mentality they have of like, well, we don't need possession. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Just let uh, Mbappe run around you all day and Neymar <laughs> and Messi? Yeah. Like that'd be such a tough order. Like Tottenham don't have a good enough team to compete in the Champions League. I'll be honest. Like there's there's too many. It's not enough, and it was Hong Son like has an injury yeah, now or something. So like that's that's crazy. So they're gonna struggle. Is there one outside of? I'll put you on the spot here a little bit. Sorry, but outside of the PSG getting whoever, is there a draw you would like to see in this Champions League group? Mine personally would be Liverpool Bayern Munich. Oh, I mean, that would be that would just be great. Like two of the giants of Europe going head to head. Like who would you like to see Milan play? <laughs> Tottenham. <laughs> I was just about to say Tottenham um, because I do think that they are extremely underrated. Round. Of, I'm going to look at all the. Te- I need to see all the teams. There's uh, so the, f- the group winners were Napoli, Porto, Bayern Munich, Tottenham, Chelsea, Real Madrid, City, and Benfica. 
See, Benfica, I wouldn't. They're a sleeper team for me. Same with Napoli and Porto. Like, I feel like all three of those teams are very strong in their own sense and can cause some troubles. But the one I'm the one I'm looking at that would be juicy would be the Bayern Munich, uh, Liverpool. Or do you know what? Maybe even Bayern Munich and AC Milan would be great too. Um. I would not want that for AC Milan, no. personally. Um, so if AC Milan, like from an AC Milan perspective, Tottenham would probably, I wouldn't even want, I'd want Tottenham over Porto, personally. Yeah, might too. Uh, if I'm thinking of a dream round of 16, I want PSG, Real Madrid. Yeah. I would love that. That's like a final. That That is a final to me um, because... You just think about the the players that would be on that field. Yeah, yeah, it'd be it could be an iconic like Champions League matchup. Think about everyone that Real Madrid has, midfielders included, attackers included, defenders, coach, and then PSG, the attack that they have. Yeah, Donnarumma as well in goal. Yeah. Like they've got Akimi. There's yep. so many guys, so there, many iconic players. Yeah, that'd be special. That would that'd be, be special. special. I'm trying to look. Liverpool, if I if if I wanted Liverpool to take on a team, I agree with you. Liverpool Bayern Munich would be, I think, be fun. I think Liverpool would get up to it. There's also the Sadio Mane aspect to it as well. True. The return, which um, that would be sick. That would that storyline in itself. That'd be cool. That's why I was kind of thinking of is just like storylines and like where they would go. Like we obviously saw Lewandowski go back to Bayern. Haaland went back to mm-hmm. Dortmund as well, and. Yeah, maybe I'm missing some, but that to me that would be a big one of uh, Bayern Munich, Liverpool, just because of the 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 money <laughs> thing in there, and obviously, and just the legacy of both clubs, They're both great teams. But I think we'll get a good matchup in in every single one. Like there's a, I agree. There's just a lot of promise on every single team. We obviously have the Canadian factors with Club Bruges and Porto and obviously Davies with Bayern as well. So it's uh, Champions League shaping up well. It's, uh, it's been a fun a fun one. And I'm, I'm kind of sticking by my point as well where I, I do think this could be an interesting one where we see some random random team get to the semifinal. Yeah. Like I, I'm sticking with my PSG, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw... Just someone unexpected get there. Like yeah. I said, Napoli before the season started, so maybe I'll stick with my guns on that one. I mean, it doesn't sound too, yeah, too at this uncommon point, now. Yeah, does I it? agree. They're good, but there's, uh, I could see something shaping out for someone. Another match I wouldn't mind quickly: Frankfurt and Real Madrid. I wouldn't mind seeing like a Super Cup yeah, final the rematch, replay. Yeah, yeah the I wouldn't. Rematch. I wouldn't mind that at all. Uh, okay, we'll end the episode, but quickly before we go, I have to give Giroud. Uh, massive shout out because that guy scored two goals and had an assist against Salzburg. Right. And I th- he's 36 years old. Like we want to talk about guys <laughs> who are kind of still performing in the later years of their yeah. career. Uh, AC Milan are apparently in the talks of like negotiating another contract with him because they're so impressed with his performance. Like he helped. He was such a key to AC Milan winning the Scudetto. He's been such a key in this Champions League group stage. And I, what I really respect about this guy is he always shows up to the big games and he has memorable moments. Like we're left yeah. talking about Giroud right now because he helped AC Milan qualify to the round of 16 for the first time in nine years. Well, he was a big part of France winning the World yeah. Cup too. And um, yeah, like he, he's one of those players who I think, uh, what does that say in the kids say? Hmm, it's the streets all remember. I believe that's what it is. <laughs> you know more than me. I was about to say what? No cap? That's all <laughs> uh, I know. I heard uh, someone say mid the mid, other day. Yeah, people I, say mid I, a lot. I didn't know that one. Yeah. I'm only 26, but yeah. I feel like I'm 100 sometimes. <laughs> Imagine turning 31. kids talk nowadays. Oh, I have no uh, idea. <laughs> but yeah, he'll he'll be one of those players the streets never forget, which I believe means <laughs> um, that people just always remember him. Yeah. Yeah, so that's good. Uh, I We have a little bit of time, sorry. I just wanted to talk about the Europa League quickly. The fact that we have Thursday night movie nights. Oh, there's so many great <laughs> teams coming down, but also in the Europa League right now. So the way it kind of works is the, I, be, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the top seeded teams get a bye okay. past one round and then they go past the next because the second seeded teams will play the teams from the Champions League. So just looking through here today, um, Arsenal 
if they win their group today, they'll get that bye. So they play um, Zurich, who are not having a great season in Switzerland, but they lost last week to PSV, which would have secured their spot in the um, the first round bye. So they have P- they PSV, if they win, they play uh, Bordeaux Glimt, who have been a really good team actually in Europe the last few years. Uh, there's a lot of other things. Fenerbahce and Rennes are going at it for top spot in Group B. Uh, in Group C is one I wanted to inquire on quickly. So Rome won. Yeah, what's up with that? I'm just looking at that right now. Yeah, so they won the Conference League last year. Right, I remember that. They're currently in third in their Group C with Real Betis, Razgrad, Rome, and HJK. So HJK are done. They only have one point. So today Rome play Razgrad in Rome. The winner of that group progresses to the next round okay. of the Europa League. Big game. Huge. Big game. So that one starts at 2 o'clock Mountain Time if you're looking for one. Uh, it's just the thing I love about the Europa League, and we haven't we don't talk about it a lot on the show because there's been so much happening so much. in the Champions League. It's hard to get to. But just the competitiveness of it. And every single group, there's consequences somewhere. And I think like a lot of people don't like that Champions League teams get another chance at Europe with falling down if they finish third in the group, it. which I don't mind it. I think it adds just a little bit more and like, we get to see more matchups in the Europa League, mm-hmm. quite frankly. And so there's just I just love the competitiveness of it, like I was saying. So right now in Group C2, which is another big one, which gets going there in 20 minutes, so the podcast might be out by then or whatever. They might have already watched the game. I don't know. Uh, Real Sociedad and Manchester United. Whoever wins that group wins. Whoever wins that game wins the group. So Real Sociedad are currently first with fifteen points, plus nine goal difference. Conceded one goal in five games, scored ten. Then you have Manchester United in with twelve points in second with a plus six. So United need to win that game first of all <laughs> by at least three goals, and it's a way to avoid getting second in the group. Man, so I'm going to drive home quickly. Uh, it's going to be a tough one. Uh, but that'll be a really good one. But then we could see a Juventus Manchester United, perhaps, or like this. Or I can't remember. The, people through, were also saying like United and Barcelona, like Barcelona. It, yeah, it, there's just the Europa League, and I know that you shouldn't watch things solely on the teams and that are in it. But when you look at how stacked the Europa League is, Arsenal, Juve, United, Barca, Ajax, Roma, like. Th- we're like I know Halloween's over, but my gosh, this yeah. is like your all-star candy in the bag that you picked up. Yeah, and then to bring it back to a Canada, our boy Borgium. Nice. So Red Star Belgrade, uh, currently fourth in Group H. However, they have six points, and Monaco in second have seven points. So if they win, they can fly right up and qualify as long as Trasbor don't win as well. Either way, if they win, they'll guarantee some kind of European football continuing forward. It's in Monaco, and Borgian is playing. So, could be a big moment for him. We'll see how that one goes. And then, yeah, just a, just a fun tournament. I, yeah. I like it a lot. And um, Europa Conference League is a, is a fun one, too. I haven't paid much attention to this, like tons, because cause that's a lot of football on a Thursday. You know, you have oh all the gosh. Europa League and then all the Conference League too. Like and most full-time of the, work. Yeah, <laughs> most of the time you're just kind of looking at the scores being like, wow, like West Ham beat who? And then all this other stuff. That's, so there's a, there's a lot a lot of good football going on. Um, quickly, one team I wanted to talk about was FC Vaduz. I believe that's how you say it. Sorry if it's wrong. So they're from Liechtenstein. Okay. They're the first team from Liechtenstein to ever qualify for European football. Love it. They're not doing... They're doing okay. I shouldn't say they're not doing great. They have two points in five games. But they play in Switzerland's second division. Okay. So the reason... that it's like Liechtenstein is a very small country. They don't have enough to have their own league. So teams play in different leagues around the world. And... Yeah, they qualified by winning the Liechtenstein Cup. Okay. Made it through all the way through qualifying, got to the Conference League. They're doing well. They're in a, they're in a, a tough group. Uh, AZ Al- uh, Alkmaar, uh, Dnipro is a, a Ukrainian team, a team people might remember. They went to the Europa League final, maybe like, oh, I can't remember, but they lost to Rangers and then they folded. Damn. They had to fold because they just ran out of money and now they're back and now they've got back to that. And then there's uh, another team, I'm not even going to, 
try and pronounce it. I believe that's Cyprus, Cyprus team, yeah. But anyway, they made it, and their stadium is only like 3,000. I love these stories. Oh, it's crazy. These are the feel-good stories. It's really good to see. So it's this is why like people say, like, oh, we, and I was one of these people, we don't need another European competition. But then you see this stuff happen where it's like, these fans are like getting these, are like, they're getting to go to Holland to see to AZ yep. Almar and they're, they're a big European club and have been in the past and it's just that's that's what European football is about and that's what these competitions are about so it's just good good to see different teams have success and these small clubs get the opportunity and the money f- the, right yeah. the the money for the fan base for the players for the managers like they come from somewhere small and, and they should be able to be given that opportunity to, to build that club yeah so and, i love it and, and i love those stories i i especially yeah. love the stories where it's like only three thousand people fit in their stadium yeah when the sidebar hockey with the arizona coyotes i know what's going yeah. on there is crazy but i personally like when i saw that on tv i was like i would embrace that as a fan it's like cool. i know i know it's not like the most glamorous thing and you know a lot of people kind of you know crap on the coyotes but i'm like if i were a fan i'd i'd personally be like this is what's going on. We're going to rep it hard. And like, let's have the most iconic run that yeah. we can possibly have. And it be associated to this arena yeah. that we're in. It's, um, you got to make your home a home. And those to me are the best stories. Yeah. They're, they're fun ones. And even like last year, just to close out on the conference league, if fine, so final lost one nail to Rome in the final, if final had won that competition, they would have been the first team ever to win obviously because it was the first time but the champions league the europa league slash uefa cup and then also the conference wow. league which is a great accomplishment yeah. to have that like, you are the only team ever to do that like tons of teams have won the uefa cup europa league and the champions league in the past so yeah just cool cool stuff like that and it's uh conference league when it gets to the next round like there's a lot of good matchups to look forward to like you know, the final four last year was Leicester, Rome, Feyenoord, and Marseille. Yeah. Do you know? It's a, it's fun. Up. It's a fun one. I always mess up the way I say Marseille. I always okay. say Marseille. I mess up every single name. Marseille. I don't know. So. Sometimes I have a hard time, and sometimes even with Kroos, and I say sometimes I say Kroos or Kroos. I mess that one up a lot. By the way, before we hop off, he's not going to the World Cup. Tony Kroos. I really? Yeah. Kroos. Well, this Kroos. is breaking news. Yeah, he's not. He, he the, like is he injured? He didn't make that team. Okay, let me read you the quote because I was reading this this morning. I like had to screenshot this. Uh, he said, "I won't be at the World Cup, but I'm sure that when I watch Germany's games, I will want to play. There are now players who deserve to play more, and I didn't want the time to come when they told me that it's better for you to leave. I wonder if there's drama, if there's politics. But man, this guy's playing like this guy's playing top football right now. Oh, it says he retired from international football. That's a shame. After England knocked him out. But like major you, L for Germany. Yeah, you got to give him a call at least. I mean, like, hey, man, can you can, can you come you, back yeah, for, come for back? <laughs> the um, weeks? I always remember Paul Scholes retired from international football with England like way too early than he should have. And uh, I watched this interview with him the other day and. He was there, he was with Gary Neville and it's called Overlap if anyone wants to watch it. Gary Neville interviews all his like former teammates and other Love. guys too, like Van Dyke. He just Love did that. one. It's really good. And he said in depth luck of these careers and he spoke about Paul Scholes and with Paul Scholes and he asked him, he's like, Were you ever asked to come back and play for England? He's like, Yeah, like a couple of times. I can't remember which manager came close to getting him. It might have been Roy Hodgson. But they asked him to go to the two thousand and ten World Cup, mm-hmm. which was South Africa. Right? Yeah, that was South Africa. And he said, did you come close? And he's like, if... He's like, I never spoke to Capello directly. I never spoke to his assistant managers. And if Capello had called him directly and been like, we need you to come play. Like, we want you to be part of it. Whatever. He's like, I would have gone. But no one ever called me. He's like, no, no. Sorry. Capello never called him. Damn. So it just shows it's like... And I don't know what the story is with Germany and Cruz if uh, they've called him, but... Yeah, like a lot of these guys, I think they would go back and play if they were shown the respect by the managers to be like, yep, we want you to come back. But Well, Capello isn't a name that I've heard since 2010, so that's uh, a nice throwback. It honestly yeah. caught my brain just went back in time. Uh, crazy. Well, I mean, I was shocked reading that because I'm like, this guy's still playing incredible football. Yeah, sometimes so, you forget, right, that these guys yeah. retire because... Like international football isn't happening every week, and then these big tournaments come around, and it's like, 
oh, where's this guy? He's like, yeah. oh, crap. Yeah, Damn. he retired. One guy England need is Jamie Vardy. <laughs> I would love to see him come back. He's not doing as well for Leicester this year, but he's a guy who probably should have had a few more England caps. And Peter Crouch. Peter Crouch. <laughs> yes. We're big fans. <laughs> Whoever wants to come back and help us win, just lace them up and oh let's my, go. Right. Oh, my back. God. You imagine that? Oh, to back, get them all back. Beckham. Just give them like. Bobby give Charleston a, goes back. Yeah. In put them in for the last two minutes. <laughs> Honestly, could you imagine? Yeah. They just, still win. Oh, man. I cry. Okay. I'd all right, cry. guys. This has been Kicked Back. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening and watching. That's a wrap for another episode of Kicked Back, and thanks so much for listening. You can catch Caroline and Liam here every single week on Tuesdays and Thursdays to give you the latest rundown on all things football. Please don't forget to subscribe and give us a nice five-star rating. Please and thank you. And for even more Kicked Back content, follow the 90th Minute on all your favorite social channels. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 